welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. Welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. My name is Christopher and joining me today is Alex Chivaletto. She is a registered therapeutic counselor from one of Vive's partners at Cornerstone Counseling and I'm very excited to have her here today, not just because she's a lovely person, but because we're going to talk about anxiety and this is a topic that many of you have contacted me about and said we really want to know more and I personally want to know a lot more about it. Um, how it works, how it works uh, involving counseling and just anxiety in general because I I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions and I'm sure that you can attest to some of that with your your clients and everything. So anyway, hi, Alex. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and have this conversation. I want to start off right away about you personally because I think it's it's really powerful to understand someone's why especially when they work in healthcare, especially when they um, help others and service others. I think the motivation uh, speaks a lot to, you know, the service that's being delivered. So I kind of want to just relax, hang out with you, find out who Alex is and how you got into how you got into therapy and then what makes you passionate about it. And I'll just give you the floor. Awesome. Ah, well, it's so interesting because I kind of take myself back to my grade five or six year, and I remember quite vividly this moment. I was obsessed with the TV show Intervention on A&E, and yes. I remember writing in my diary that I wanted to be an interventionist when I grew up. Interesting. Yeah, I always sort of had this passion for helping families, helping individuals who are experiencing pain and shame and all of that. And I think it also kind of coincided that was around the time that you know, we start to get a little more mature, grade five and six. And I was really realizing that my family wasn't perfect. Mental health and addiction, I could sort of notice some patterns in my own extended family and all of that. And so those two things just kind of coincided and encouraged me to start to become very interested in psychology. Interestingly, though, I decided in grade 12, okay, I'll be a dentist. Kind of random. So I started to follow that path into my third year of university, actually. I just kind of had a moment where I felt that pull back to psychology and I decided I'll scrap that. I'm going to try to pursue this avenue. And the stars kind of aligned. I started to work at a nonprofit in Edmonton that helped individuals experiencing poverty and homelessness. Oh, yeah. Working on the front lines with that. And I just really felt this pull of, I want to do, I want to be able to build more of that relationship with people. Like, sure, we're doing these basic services. I would love to just engage in a career where I can get to know people's stories. Maybe that's at the heart of this, the story. So you're, okay. Are you, do you read a lot? Oh, I read a lot. Okay. I, I got the reading vibe. I read, I read too, but stories are, are everything. I think it's just fascinating to know like where, where people come from, how they kind of ended up thinking the way they do or feeling the way they do. But to go from, yeah. uh, I mean, to be at such a young age and to feel like, you know, to be interested in psychology in grade five, grade six. And then that's really interesting to me because not a lot of kids gravitate towards that sort of self-awareness, introspection and, and curious about mm-hmm. how people think that I think generally, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, it feels like that would come at a later age. So that's really cool that you were kind of interested in that at a young age and 
how did the dentistry thing happen? Like what, just as a total tangent, but like, where did that, yeah. where did that fit in there? My grandfather, who I'm very close with, and actually I would say has such a big heart in giving back. He's also encouraged this psychology and this self-awareness and reflection on others. He's a dentist though. So, and my family comes from a long line of dentists. So I just thought, well, this is interesting too. How cool would it be to kind of continue on with the family tradition? And yeah, just as I pursued that more, I realized maybe it wasn't for me. And he's always still been very supportive, whatever avenue I go down. But even the psychology route, I do have to kind of think about both him and my grandma for just really instilling in me um, that giving back and that being with others. So I love that. I'm really close with my grandmother as well. I just saw her last night, actually. And She's the the light of my life at 90 years old. Like, does your grandfather ever talk about the psychology of dentistry? I know we're getting down like this, this road right now, <laughs> but I have, I have a bit of a complex with dentists. I've never had, you know, perfect oh. teeth or anything like that. Right. So, I mean, you could, mm -hmm. we could go into this a little bit, but I'm always, I have friends who are dentists. Uh, I dated a dental assistant and uh, I just thought it was such an interesting environment for people to go yeah. in because there's a lot of trepidation and for sure. Fear and things like that. So does he ever, uh, you know, to relate to you and what you do now, do you guys ever talk about the psychology of, of dentistry? I'm just curious. We've never had explicit conversations, but it's interesting you say that. Um, he's in, in his mid-70s and finally retiring, but he's not that sort of stereotypical idea of a dentist. He'll have like his folk music playing on CKUA and he always <laughs> is cracking jokes. And so I think just thinking of psychology and you're right, lots of anxiety comes into going into that chair yes. at the dentist's office. I think the person that he brings into it plays a big role in making his clients feel comfortable. So there's definitely lots of psychology behind that industry and that work. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good place to segue into what we're here to discuss, which is anxiety. And like I alluded to, if I make it personal, because I tend to do that on my podcast, I have anxious thoughts about about going to the dentist. At least I did. It's it's much better now, uh, but it took many years to you know go to the dentist consistently and to catch up on all the work that I avoided when I was like very very anxious. And I notice my like as I'm speaking to you live, Alex. Like I'm I'm choosing my words carefully because I want to understand what anxiety is. And I I think I just said like feelings of anxiety. So is it, is it something to, that we disassociate from? Can we have feelings of anxiety or are we experiencing anxiety? Like what, what is it in a, in a generalized term? Like if I was, yeah. if I was in grade five, how would you describe it to me? That's a good thought. I think you're highlighting how language is so complex and it's hard to even put language to some of these things that we do feel. Um, I think of this spectrum people as soon as like I'm experiencing anxiety or I have some feelings of anxiety people can start to feel like oh is that actually like a diagnosable experience of anxiety and I'm sort of of the belief that we all experience at times symptoms of anxiety or that are consistent with anxiety right and some depending on the seasons of our lives sometimes it's more um 
it's stronger than others, but it doesn't mean I think we can fall into that trap of, well, if I don't actually have anxiety, am I allowed to experience this mm-hmm. or even put language to this experience? And I think we absolutely can. But to give you kind of a definition of it, as maybe I would with individuals at grade five or six, yeah. <laughs> How to, are you smarter than a fifth grader is coming to mind? Yeah, that's where we're sitting right now. <laughs> like I'm waiting with bated breath to see if I am or not. Anxiety is actually a really normal reaction to stress and can be beneficial to us in some situations. Uh, I think a lot of emotion or what I've noticed, even friends and family, when we talk about emotions, there are very stigmatized emotions, right? Some are seen as very positive, some are seen as very negative, and anxiety usually falls into that category of negative. But I often encourage people, what does anxiety actually do for us? Like, how how can that emotion be beneficial? I wonder, as I'm saying that, Chris, I don't know if if ideas are sort of coming up for you, but my brain, yeah. is, my brain is always on fire. And yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> I have every time I ask a question on this show, I end up with like 10 more. But to go back, I'll go all the way back to the beginning of your reply that language is important. And the one thing that this podcast has taught me and from talking to different health professionals, my my role like with Vive Mental Health, like I'm I'm a mental health liaison. So I, I also love to connect with people to make them feel comfortable, give them a safe space. And then we sort of approach different situations and questions together through the power of teamwork and through, you know, just my own experience and stuff that we're able to glean some answers from it. But there's always been topics where I feel like there's a more defined answer that's maybe just out of my, out of my realm. And anxiety was one of them. I think because it hits close to home in many ways. So I like I experienced trauma when I was younger um, mm. that I that I talk about uh, like in, in the first couple episodes, uh, pretty serious trauma. Uh, my parents divorced. That was actually my first trauma when I was 10. So I always uh, I always felt anxious. I, I knew these triggers of anxiety for me were uh, like Christmas, uh, which is still a thing for me because yeah. because of the family dynamics. So I would have anxiety about uh, having two Christmases and things like that and and how, how it was all going to play out, who was going to say what. And so in my mind, I grew up thinking of anxiety, like you said, like a spectrum where there would be like the bubbly kind where I would get that, um, you know, just that feeling of, of tension uh, physiologically or just like emotionally. And then other times when I'm dealing with like my PTSD and I experience night terrors and things like that, uh, the anxiety can be really profound and I'll go, yeah. I'll go get into bed with a feeling like something may happen that night. I may ex- yeah. have an episode. So it's a very heightened, uh, you know, like a 10 out of 10 sort of anxiety in your career. Like what, um, what is a common type of anxiety that people experience to the point where they're coming to you and saying, I feel, I feel like this is something I should address. Oh, good question. I think, hmm, I definitely see a unique and broad spectrum of, I wouldn't say there's one type that's more frequent than others. Just even over the last two years, something that I think we've noticed and what I was hearing a little bit in your example too, a lot of people's anxiety coming from this place of uncertainty, Mm -hmm. like the uncertainty causing distress of themselves of what, like, how might Christmas be? 
for me yeah. two Christmases. How is the pandemic going to play out? Like finances, all of those things. That uncertainty I find is usually at the heart of when people are coming and especially during like life transition. So mm -hmm. I don't want to call COVID a life transition and I don't even want to talk about COVID anymore, but that's a major experience in somebody's life. Um, choosing either to start university or not another major transition in somebody's yeah. life, choosing the house to buy, like all of those sort of periods um, of uncertainty are, can be very unsettling. So I, I find I see it in that. And social anxiety too, another big one. Um, and another one for sure, test anxiety or anxiety related to school and performance. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm noticing it more now because of finals. We're in the season of finals. Yeah, tis the season for test anxiety. I, uh, I can relate. I got to go back a few years to remember like high school and things like that. But um, before we before we started recording i was telling you like i played i played in a band i was i did music i love performance i i sort of fell in love with that kind of anxiety where um it would be the moments leading up to like even these podcasts and that like i get i get excited for the experience of of doing this show right but before i go on stage or before i you know like i do an exam or i have a big interview there there was sort of this embrace of that anxiety and in my mind that was like how I was gonna get through it was I just sort of like embrace the feeling of oh my gosh and that would be my superpower to get through it yeah I don't know if that's a healthy way of coping with anxiety but it worked at times at other times mm -hmm. it, at other times it totally didn't but just with test anxiety I a lot of my listeners are are like in university they're studying different things uh, so this might be relevant just to like touch on this for a moment, but when it comes yeah. to like performance anxiety or test anxiety, what do you recommend um, as an approach or is a very nuanced based on the individual or is there kind of a general formula that you can kind of guide them with? I would say there's definitely that piece of it being unique because uh, there's some people who have test anxiety, of course, um, they'll study and they'll still get a really good mark. Uh, but still experience that test anxiety. So sort of specific in that area, there's people who have that test anxiety that inhibits them from studying at all. And so they may actually get a poor mark. And so those I find sometimes are different avenues in what you might do with those. But even as we're talking about some of these things, it makes me think about the cycle of anxiety. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. This is something that I usually share with people and they find um, it really resonates and test anxiety fits well with this. So the cycle of anxiety, um, sometimes I'll talk about anxiety. You'll see I'm pointing to my shoulder, almost as this like part of ourselves. It makes me think of the move, Pixar movie Inside Out. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I'm not, but I'll, I'll smile and nod and keep, uh, encourage <laughs> you to keep going. I've heard of it for sure. I haven't seen it. Inside Out. Oh, I recommend it to adults. It's all about emotions. It's oh, really cool. good. But I'll think of anxiety as like a little being on our shoulder. And anxiety, what does it usually tell us? It usually tells us oh, there's something that's making me a little bit uncomfortable right now. Ugh. Mm -hmm. So in the cycle of anxiety, at the very top of the cycle, you're doing something. Let's say you bring out your textbook. You're like, okay, I need to get through 10 chapters right now. That little part of you, the anxious part, is like, 
okay, I really don't like this feeling of looking at the 10 chapters and knowing all that I have to do. So anxiety, what does it tell us to do? It tells us to avoid. That's the second part of this circle. Hmm. Anxiety tells us to avoid. So I put the textbook away. I go do Netflix and chill or I go hang out with my friends. I do all the fun stuff that I enjoy. Some people's avoidance might even be like drug and alcohol use. And in the short term, how do you usually feel? You feel great because you're completely avoiding this thing. But what ends up happening? The cycle goes kind of back to the top. In the long term, we see quite exponential growth. You go to write the exam. You didn't study very well. You get the bad mark and anxiety sneaks up on your shoulder again and kind of says, see, I told you so. Mm -hmm. This thing is so uncomfortable. So it kind of becomes this vicious cycle as you'll start to continue to now avoid school-related things. You'll get that short-term relief, but that long-term growth will continue. We just seem to find it that vicious cycle. So for a lot of people, I'll say, they'll they'll point out in that moment, my, my goodness, yes, I'm avoiding whether it's going to social functions and, and public speaking because of some of that feeling, or I'm avoiding studying. And that's usually a good starting point to encourage different way, different strategies of navigating that uncomfortable emotion. Going back to your comment on language, um, like when I think of actually the DSM-5, which I know lots of people are familiar with, there of course is that diagnosis of anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder and all of those things that fit under that. Um, but just thinking about like nerves and feeling a little bit anxious, I don't know. I wonder if they're quite similar because our nerves or even feeling anxious before going up for a performance can be very helpful in giving us that like adrenaline burst, I guess. Um, they can be very beneficial. So, oh, I might after we're done actually look that up. I don't have a solid foundation or answer on that one. A lot of people will say, okay, I felt nervous or I felt anxious. When is it actually a problem though? Going back to what I said, like it totally is beneficial, even in your own example, before um, performing in front of a crowd, it's actually good that you feel a little bit of the jitters, it gets the adrenaline pumping and you, cause you're wanting to do your best, but when does it become an issue? And I'll, I'll kind of always use the three Ds for people to rest on. Is it distressing, disruptive, or debilitating? Like for, for your example there, are you able to go out and perform and do a, a decent re or good show? Yep, okay, perfect. But is it distressing or debilitating to the point of you actually weren't able to get up on the stage and you had to cancel the performance last minute? So that can kind of help people understand, is my feeling of anxiety or nerves in this moment a normal reaction or is it something that might be a bit exacerbated has a person's quality of life um, changed very drastically over a period of time you know because because you're right some people have different tolerances for sure um, we all have a different baseline that's usually the word that i use and so for some um, they work in high stress environments and there's always sort of that stress that's lingering in their system and they're able to handle that and navigate that whereas for other people it would be different so I know I don't know if it's a catch-all but I always go back to that word of it's so unique to the individual and their experience of it well it's it's like a, it's a point that I try to in, like reinforce as well like just yeah. in mental health in general is that it's uh I, tr I try to focus on the 
the emotions and the feelings that we experience rather than the catalyst or the cause um, because everybody's story is different. But what what kind of brings us together uh, like humans, we, we feel the same emotions. We know what sadness feels like. We know what joy feels like anxiety and it it's different for everyone. Uh, some people, it doesn't take much at all to make them feel like just full of joy. Right. And other people it's, you know, their joy button is, is different. And so when I, when I speak about mental health, one way that I try to unite people around the, the philosophy of mental health is that there's, it's a bit of a misnomer that it's like an individual problem. I shouldn't say problem that, that it's an individual case. I can't think of the word right now. Concern. Concern. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but if we focus on what it feels like, then we can empathize with others who feel anxious or sad or depressed. And I know exactly what you're saying, and I and I think what I hear from you and how how beautiful that you really emph- emphasize this part. What I hear from you is that just because it looks different person to person, or our experience of something looks different. Um, doesn't dismiss or invalidate that. And that I think even, you know, so far in our conversation about anxiety and what I hope I do with all my clients and my family and friends and just the broader community is validating people's experience, no matter where it falls on that spectrum. Because as you were saying, it's so unique and we need to just empathize and understand that too. Yeah, I, I appreciate no comparison. I appreciate you articulating that better than I just did because like, for example, like I talk about the trauma that I went through. Uh, I've lived, I've lived a life. Like I've been through a lot and there's been times where I'm talking about my own experiences just to kind of like, so people understand where I'm coming from, why I do this. And there's some like really heavy stuff in there that what, what sparked it was someone came up to me, someone who knows me really well, like, like a good friend. And he's like, you know, dude, I want to talk to you about, you know, what I'm going through, but like, it's nothing like what you've been through. And I, I don't want to like, like, it's probably nothing, but like, it's really bumming me out. And like, I'm paraphrasing. Right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and I was, it was, it was such an aha moment to, to go, you know, it doesn't matter what your thing is, but it's how it's making you feel like my, my trauma made me feel very sad. And if you're sad, like I understand sad, doesn't matter where your sad came from. Let's talk about where we can unite. So yeah, that your emotions are valid. hundred percent. No matter what. hundred percent. And it's not a, you know, it's not relative to each other. It's just like what we're feeling and how we can work through those, those feelings at their core. Right. It's honestly something. So I, I'm in therapy and I love it a lot and I do have an avoidant issue with anxiety. It is one of those things that I'm like, I don't know if I want to go there because I, there's a lot to unpack. I'm a, I worked as a machinist for 15 years, which is a very highly perfectionist trade. Yeah. My job was to be perfect every day. That was the minimum, right? So I have a very high standard for myself. So I give myself anxiety all the time. Where I'm going with this is self-induced anxiety. So there's anxiety that comes from, you know, an outside source or a situation that happens to someone. And then there's something that I'm personally curious about, which is self-induced anxiety and the, and those kind of pressures that we put on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Where does one start to realize that 
I don't know how to say this, Alex, but like, where does someone realize that like I may be contributing to this anxiety without having feelings of like self-loathing, like blaming themselves, yeah, shame, right? guilt, yeah, that kind of yeah. Thing. Well, one thing I might challenge, I'm like really good at challenging. <laughs> Let's, yeah, please. One thing I might challenge is even this idea that it's self-induced. Okay. Like I wonder, thinking about someone being born, mm-hmm. um, they're just like thinking of everyone's life story being so different the way that people interacted with you the jobs that you had education societal norms like all of those things i believe put pressure into those sort of internalized messages right so even Mm -hmm. though it might feel self-induced for instance like the kind of theme of perfectionism is coming up people like you probably weren't born day one a perfectionist or experiencing perfectionist tendencies, right? Like usually I would, to remove that shame and guilt in a way, I just encourage people see the forces that may have contributed to that inner narrative or inner critic. Oh, I like that answer. I feel way better actually, because you're, (laughs) you're you're right. There's a, yeah, I I came at it from like a humble place. Like I'm like this is it feels self-induced, but you're right. There's there were outside things that introduced that anxiety or those where my train of thought would go to an anxious place, yeah. I, I suppose. So that's that's a great method, I think. I'm really glad that you mentioned that. And so there is that part now like it's it's I usually use the word it's deeply ingrained whether it's like 20 25 years of somebody's life where it's been deeply ingrained and so of course you sort of speak to yourself in those ways um it's just out of habit that you might talk to yourself and in more critical ways or however that looks but doesn't mean that it is your fault or induced solely by yourself i guess i i like it's that okay answer if I'm not. Because it, it's just my opinion <laughs> okay so the big one for me it, it's affecting my personal life too there's a situation that i'm dealing with about uh someone who is a little bit hesitant about going to uh, counseling going to therapy and uh, they're very mm-hmm. anxious about it but it's someone i care about obviously i want them to uh, get better and there's a part of them that's like i want to get better but there's anxiety about talking about their anxiety. So where yeah. so where does that where does that fit in? I mean, you have a door to your office, it swings open, someone walks in, they're not sure, you know, and they're they're having those feelings. So where do you what would you say to somebody who is anxious about about having a conversation like this one with with a health professional and and getting over that hump? First thing I would say, and actually, interestingly, I say this to every person that walks in, is I understand why you would be anxious or feel some nerves coming into today. It is, I think there's so many factors related to this. I mean, even I know mental health through avenues like your podcast and greater community sort of education and all of that, mental health has started to become more talked about. But we're never, there's never a class when we're growing up about sharing our emotions, mm-hmm. being vulnerable, like all of that. So it, it's very understandable why I would guesstimate most people experience some nerves or anxiety coming in to session. Um, some misconceptions, I think, also play into that. Some of the misconceptions that 
I don't know if this is maybe the right avenue to go down. But I, I was going to ask you, like, what, uh, yeah, like, what are the myths? Because you mentioned the fear of the unknown earlier. Yeah. And uh, that's that was the whole catalyst to, like, this podcast was to, yeah. for my own curiosity and because I get to share it on this platform with others. But there's just so much, like, I didn't know about my, when the first time I went to therapy, I canceled my first two sessions. Because I was terrified. Like, I don't know yeah. what it's going to be like. I've watched movies, you know, Frasier. You can't be like Frasier. And, like, I <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to expect. So, yeah, I'm honestly, I'm just giving you a chance to be like, what can people expect when they're, you know, because mm -hmm. that's got to take some of the anxiety away, I think. You're right. People expect the laying on a couch um, with the therapist, like, behind a desk, kind of looking at yeah. them sternly. And responding very infrequently and even I don't know why I've found most like media portrayals are people who aren't very warm yeah right like very yeah so well and I know I can't speak for every therapist but one thing I know for most that I've met and I hope for myself is that uh, it is a very warm and welcoming environment some of that misconception is like that power dynamic, right? I'm going to go into this session and this person is going to point out all the things I'm doing wrong in my life, mm -hmm. what needs to change. Um, they're going to tell me what to do and, and give advice and guidance. And I would say that is n nothing even close to what really happens. I value the word like using therapy as a collaborative sort of approach we're working together and i never want it to feel like a power dynamic and i know know most therapists also similarly say that same sentiment so in the first session i try my best to make it almost like our podcast a bit of a little bit of a dialogue and conversation mm -hmm. i try to tell people just as much as today is me getting to know you it's also your chance to get to know me. Yes. Um, a lot of people don't realize that when they start whatever, seeing a new doctor, seeing a new dentist, seeing a new psychologist or therapist, they can make the choice to not go back to that person, right? Yes. That first session, I often encourage people to treat it as a bit of an interview. You get to go in there and see if this person and their personality is a right fit and the unfortunate side of the coin here is sometimes it's not. And those times when it's not can be very discouraging to folks. Mm -hmm. So I just always encourage them to come with an open mind and also almost feel that they have some power and choice in this journey for themselves. 100%. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. You know what? I've experienced that too. I, I went to a therapist. I, I went to a session many years ago. And it just, it wasn't the right fit. And, you know, the most comfortable part of that uh, 45 minutes was when we kind of laughed about it. And we went, yeah, no, like, we're not really jiving, are we? No, no. But like, <laughs> but he he's like, I have someone that like, it might be your, your fit, right? That might work for you. Yeah. And what, it was just, he reminded me of like a, a figurehead in my life. And I had told him this. I'm like, you remind me of someone I know. And it, he kind of like looked at me, went, who? And when I told him, he's like, oh, he's like, it's okay. Yeah, this might not work. But he was yeah. very honest about it to his credit. You know, he's like, no, I got someone else. And so they, he actually went above and beyond and like, uh, unless this is common practice, but if it's not a fit, 
I know that you're in a position to be like, well, let me help you find somebody who is. Cause, yeah. Because our end game is to like. We care for you. Regardless of if it's with me or someone else, I want the best for you. Yeah. I would say 99% of people in this profession sort of come from that mentality. Another thing that contributes to that anxiety of people coming in is it's not even just about the first session or how that will go. It's about like, what is therapy going to be like? Mm-hmm. Um, in the first session, I try to prioritize giving people a bit of a lens, future focused of, okay, this is what today is going to look like. This is what you can kind of expect for the next couple sessions. So they have a bit of a framework. So if the therapist that you're sitting with isn't giving you that information, I just encourage you to ask to help dispel some of that nerves for yourself. But uh, I see people kind of come in feeling like every session they're going to feel so sort of in that doom and gloom. It's going to be so painful. And a a skilled um, clinician will know how to hold you in that and you won't have to feel in pain every session. Of course, um, as we all know in our own healing journeys, it's not going to be linear and there will be more difficult periods for sure. But if you have that chemistry and that vibe that you were talking about, Chris, with your therapist, they'll be able to hold you in those more difficult periods. But it's not always going to feel that low in a sense. So I want people to also know that. No, that's a great point. Yeah, like you you should feel supported. And there, there is a sense that like, you know, it should be communicated that like it won't be linear. Uh, we're going to have like amazing sessions, like better than you're thinking. And then there's going to be some <laughs> that are, you know, a little bit tougher than others. And um, I think, you know, we build things up in our minds. Like when we do, when we are anxious about uh, something like it, you know, for me, it was like playing a show. I'm like, oh, if I mess up one note, it's going to ruin the show. And um, so we build up scenarios in our mind. Like our brains are so good at like thinking ahead and just making up something because that it makes us more comfortable. We feel more prepared. Uh, exactly. even, though, even though it's a bit of a fallacy, I'm sure there's like a an evolutionary purpose to that where we do play out scenarios so that we we are a little bit more prepared. Exactly. But um but honestly like it's it's not as uh roller coastery of a ride as I think many of us I can only speak for myself, but I think many people build it up. So it's nice to be able to kind of flesh it out like we are and and say, you know, like it's not a, it's not going to be <laughs> as as wild and crazy as you think. It's going to be a very fluid and dynamic and Someone in your position is always paying attention. Um, so you're you're reacting, you're present. Um, and the cool thing that I found like doing interviews like this, uh, Alex, is that a lot of us who work in uh, mental health or therapy or, or clinicians, like you mentioned, um, we come from lived experience as well. So there's uh, our motives are kind of, for many of us, I think, like we don't want people to feel how we felt at this time when you had that light bulb moment you're like I want to help people like I really believe in this and uh I think it's just such a beautiful thing to communicate to say like you know what you're you may be on this side of the the desk or the couch or whatever but you know generally the person helping you has that empathy so for me personally that was a big relief when my counselor kind of she she was candid for a moment and said like I actually get it and I'll tell you why I'm here and why I even care about you, you know, even though you're a strange, I don't have to know you to care about you is what she said. And I, 
If you've listened to my show for a long time, I say that all the time. I live by that mantra. I don't have to know you to care about you. Just so powerful. That must have been such a powerful moment between you and your therapist when she was sharing that. Some of the anxiety I find a lot of people feel too is that there's this image of the therapist or whoever is sitting in that chair as someone who is perfect, um, who may have never struggled. And just as you were saying, that absolutely is not true. even in our roles, like we experience so much in our own lives too. Um, you don't have to be without sort of any mental health concerns or adversity in your life to be a therapist either. So yeah, I just, I wanted to reiterate what you were saying your therapist shared with you because we don't have it all together. No, I, we're just human and it's, uh, I just, I know personally, like I build things up in my mind sometimes that I can tell on my face right now, all the emotions that come with that, the guilt and the like, stop it, Chris. Right. But it's, um, you know, just as, as far as therapy is concerned, um, the anxiety, like I completely understand. And it's not like it's like, I'll, I will validate that all the way because it, it, it does feel, I mean, you're going inside of you eventually. And that can be an uncomfortable place if you're already there because you feel that there's something off um, that you want to to get help with, right? So, like, it's absolutely normal to like feel anxious about uh, about counseling, about therapy. But honestly, I, in my experience, and uh, you know, I've helped walk you know friends and family through the process, and we've all kind of been able to you know step back and go was it was really different than I expected and in a positive way right and if uh, if the first like you said if the first experience isn't positive if, if it's not what you want then like it's okay to communicate that and it's absolutely no. okay to try again because there's so many people out there like you just as an aside Alex like um, one thing that I was asked via email was like what the difference was between a counselor a therapist a psychologist and a psychiatrist Ooh. Yeah, and the different uh, avenues of, of seeking help with like mental health and other issues. Uh, I was wondering if you could help me with that because I'm not as yeah. as well uh, well read as you are. So like, do you have definitions for those? I do, sort of. Okay. A psychiatrist, the way to, like a psychiatrist is, is quite different in that they are a medical doctor right. and they've specialized in mental health. So they have an ability to prescribe medication that can help people with whatever they're experiencing. Um, A psychologist is someone who is regulated under the College of Alberta Psychologist um, Association. They've had to do like vigorous training and there's exams and tests involved, a certain criteria of education to get to that point. So they're mandated by a college. One thing right now, um, the use of the term counselor or therapist is actually not regulated in Alberta. And we are the only province where it's not regulated, which Mm. is kind of scary. Um, And to discourage people from seeking out people with those designations like myself, just encourage people to, if you're looking into someone and they have that designation, look at the education background that they have. You absolutely can consult with them. One positive to all of this is there is an association of counselors in Alberta who are trying to move. I don't know 
if people have heard this in the news, it's been kind of common conversation over the last couple of years, the term of counselor and therapist, they're hoping to have that be regulated in the mm-hmm. near future. So I think there's actually petitions online circulating right now. We really want the government to know um, how valuable and beneficial it will be to have those things regulated. But I would say that psychologists, therapists, counselors um, can all engage in psychotherapy for sure. Yep. Psychologists sometimes specialize more so in like assessment. I appreciate that because I think um, like knowledge is power, right? And it's just one less thing for people to have to think about or like in your case, like you just kind of sussed out how how they should just think about those terms and what to look for and everything like that. But uh, I, I appreciate that clarification as well because I, I didn't know that those two terms were unregulated yeah. in Alberta where I'm based. So I am going to have a look at that pet petition because I think it's really important yeah. for people to have um, take comfort in, in knowing what they're getting into because uh, I, I take mental health very seriously. I don't want people to have exactly. any ambiguity about seeking help um, or be harmed absolutely or be harmed exactly right so like for me i have a, um, extensive education a master's degree lots of training yeah. but there are some folks who could use that term who have kind of taken a weekend course right and so you right. want to be able to know the difference for sure no i appreciate that i appreciate you alex like thank you so much for hanging out with me this afternoon and talking about anxiety yeah i had a great time and like you you offered some really like honest insight it was it was like it was a privilege to kind of unpack this with you because your candor is just so you're so accessible and you're thoughtful with your with your answers and i think a lot of people will be able to relate to kind of how you personally like view mental health and anxiety and thank you this has been such a great experience for me well it was my pleasure and we'll we'll maybe do it again we'll find another uh another topic to unpack because anxiety is you know it's just one thing but mental health is a whole is a whole spectrum right so um i also want to give a shout out to cornerstone counseling because they are uh they are a partner of vive mental health so we've worked together on a few different projects and presentations and uh i'm really proud to be somebody who who gets to work with you guys because you you run a very very awesome ship over there and i just love everyone at quarterstone so and we're proud to work with you thank you well thank you and to you the listener i just want to say thank you without your support this podcast is impossible if you're interested in supporting the vive mental health podcast you can do so in a few ways First, if you haven't already, please like and subscribe on the platform that you're listening to right now. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leaving a comment or review goes a really long way. So if you could take a moment to do that, I would love you forever. Second, if you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and followers. Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out. Third, if you'd like to donate to Vive Mental Health, you can do so by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash vivementalhealth or through buymeacoffee.com, which is a great way to make a one-time donation. I want to add as well that all of the money raised goes into making these podcasts and towards the Vive Mental Health Initiative, which I use to connect with various resources and nonprofits to help with mental health and communities, real boots-on-the-ground kind of stuff. I'll be doing some shout-outs in future episodes as well, so keep an ear out for a heartfelt thank you from me. 
If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, send us an email at podcast at vivementalhealth.com. We would love to hear from you. With that, you can find everything related to Vive on our website, vivementalhealth.com, as well as on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Vive Mental Health, as well as Facebook, YouTube, and even LinkedIn. We're everywhere. I go to great lengths to ensure that the information and resources that I share with you are well-vetted and researched, but before you take any of my advice, please consult with a health professional to ensure that you're getting the best care for your specific needs. You can email me personally as well. I love hearing from listeners, and I'll always reply back at chriskris at vivementalhealth.com with show ideas, comments, questions, whatever you like. Always love hearing from you. So take care of yourself. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you again soon.